Uh, they can... Okay. All right. So we'll start off in John 7:37, and um, it says, "On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of the heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, this he said about the spirit, whom, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the spirit has not been given, had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And this is one of the actions in, in John 7 that um, Jesus did that really kind of stirred up some conversation. So our text this morning in verse 40 starts with, when they heard these words, those words we just read, and that action that we just heard about, he said, when they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. And I'm gonna pause for a second there because that if if we uh, if we go back to um, I think this is a fundamental to me. Um, I'm gonna go back to Matthew 16 real quick and um, 16:13 and read that. Just to, we did this last week, but I want to get this fresh on our mind because one of the things that I thought about was when I was just kind of praying and navigating through this this week is one of the things I think that over the last 20 to 30 years, that's a damaging thing to the um, church at large in America is this, uh, this idea of, of you decide to follow Jesus and all you got to do is ask Jesus into your heart. I'm putting my glasses on. Um, all you got to do is ask Jesus into your heart. I look a lot better, huh? <laughs> I, I'm trying to look at this phone and I, I can't uh, I can't see it without it. Uh, but but you trying to ask Jesus in your heart. And and I, I've said this before, but I realize there's two totally difference between these questions and these two questions. And you got to ask yourself at some point, which one is the right question? Which one is biblical? And um, and and a person asking Jesus to come in, um, into their heart is uh, really essentially, in my opinion, it's not nothing you can biblically support. But this right here, you can you can biblically support it. And it's, it's something like, I've said this before. I'll, let me read the text. It says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philip, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? So if, if we go back to our text, that's the reason I'm bringing this up because we've got these two ideas. Um, the the some are saying it's the prophet. This big thing is happening. Some are saying it's the prophet. This is the crowd. Some are saying it's the prophet. Some are saying it's the Christ. Um, I lost my place again. Um, Matthew sixteen six or sixteen thirteen, and here he's saying now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples. Who do the people say that the Son of Man is? So here we're talking about the crowd, the gathering, the people that are hearing the little bits about me. What what is their what is their um, instinct? What are, who are they saying that I am? And they said some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. It was their second part of John one. I went back and looked at it that we did this this part about um, connecting all the dots of where Jesus. Um, showed that if they were willing to accept it, that John the Baptist was the 
Elijah to come. And then as I was reviewing it the other day, I don't think it stuck out to me last time. But if you go back and read in Luke, where um, Zachariah, the priest, goes in there and Gabriel talks to him and he does and, and he doesn't fully believe. And he says, you're going to be mute until the child is born and those kind of things. He actually says in that text, Gabriel tells him, he says um, he will be in the spirit of Elijah, his son that's born. He'll be born with the Holy Spirit. He'll be in the spirit of Elijah. Um, and of course, Elijah did more miracles, you know, him and Elisha in the Old Testament. But also in Malachi, it said that a messenger that would come before him would would be in the spirit of Elijah. So all of these things, as we look at our text, this is one of the things, there's quite a few things, but this is one of the things that they could have known in the text. So here we hear them, they they could have known when this season was happening if they'd have been studied up in their scripture. So right here, um, when, when they're saying it's the prophet or the Christ, it's giving you an indication that they generally knew that there would be a prophet that would become before the Messiah. They're just not able to put together that John the Baptist was the prophet. And so, because if they had known that John the Baptist was the prophet, they'd have been looking for something to come right after him, which would have been the Christ. So they're back and forth here. They, they, you know, when they're saying the Christ, maybe they are thinking to some degree that John was the prophet, but they're never really speaking that clearly. They're still working through it. But, but here in John 13 and 14, the options that when Jesus asked the disciples, who do the people say they are? They've been in the marketplace. They've heard people say things about Jesus what's the buzz? What are they saying? And they're saying John the Baptist, Elijah, others are Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So they could just be thinking, hey, this isn't the messenger. It isn't the Christ, but it is a prophet and we ought to listen to him. They're not really fully thinking through that there hadn't been a prophet in 400 years and this is a big deal. They're not really thinking about that the exodus happened after 400 years of them being in Egypt. They're not thinking those things. But anyway, that's the buzz. And then he goes on and he says in verse 15, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And I think that's the most biblical question about where the, it's the most important biblical question. It's where we meet for the first time as a child. It's, it's, if we're running from God, it's where we meet it, it, you know, all of it. I I just really think this is the most biblical question. And if you want to jumpstart your evangelism on 2023 and you want to get some focus, I think that this is your question. Ask yourself when you're talking to other people, just, I think the one question the devil keeps us back from asking people more than anything is, Hey bro, what do you think about Jesus? And look, maybe they tell you the answer you don't want to hear. Oh, that's so stupid. I used to go to church. I, was so dumb. What? I don't care what it is. Ask some people this year, what do you think about Jesus? Who do you think he is? And, and let them talk. Hell, he's so dumb. Oh, I don't really, really, why do you think that? And just get them, get them talking. Because the more you ask them about, so that's, why do you think Jesus is that way? Just, just keep asking. Just keep asking. Just 10 to 12 people this year. It'd be your discipleship group. Just, hey, what do you think about Jesus? And look, you don't, I mean, let yourself have leeway. You don't have to be the pastor. You don't have to be the theologian. Just, hey, bro, what do you think about Jesus? You know, and you might be shocked. You might have this bum off the street. Oh, you know, you might be shocked at what people, but how many people have you asked, what do you think about Jesus? 
And I just think that says, I've been studying through this book of John. I just think that is the most important question. I think it's, if you start asking that, the book of John will open up to you because um, Jesus is saying some things that are kind of mysterious and, 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 and whatnot. But when you realize that the whole thing is based on, what do you think about me? And, and so they're asking these questions and they're making the progress of this, this prophet. So anyway, finishing up, cause I'm just going on. It says, Simon Peter replied, um, but who do you say that I am? It's verse 15, 16. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, son of, uh, of Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Um, you know, so this miracle that happens in new birth, where the veil is removed, our eyes is open, our ears, and we can fully you know, sometimes you hear people say, I decided to follow Jesus, or, or, or you need to choose to follow Christ, all that. You know, we can, John 6 talked about that. We can only do this when God's grace does a work in our life. And and so, so in, in that sense, I think one of the things that will usher in all kinds of grace where God breaks the yoke and pulls people out of the miry clay is just ask them, what do you think about Jesus? Who do you think I, he, he is? Because what it forces you to do is to do something about it. If he's this, why don't you do that? You know, if, if someone, you know, anyway, I, I'm, I'm, I, let's get back to the text. I'm, I'm, I'm going to beat a dead horse there. Um, I'll just tell you what I was going to say off script there is that, uh, and I don't care if you find yourself in a bar, ask people there, what do you think about Jesus? You'll get some interesting answers. And the reason I say that is I went to a concert in Lafayette to try to support my family and something. And I wanted up, I really didn't know, but it was world house of beers or something. I was trying to find me something to eat and I get in there and it's nothing but a beer pub, but they have a good live band. But man, I wind up having conversations. All these people are there partying, you know, <laughs> trying to do something different. And I'm just reading my Bible there up in a, essentially a bar, you know, <laughs> eating dinner. Like the waiter's coming. She's like serving all these people liquor. And she's like, what's this dude doing? He's reading a Bible. Oh, all right. I'm sorry. I got we all. <laughs> all right. So anyway, um, when they heard this, the, they were, some of the people said back in, in 740, we've said this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. So I'm going I'm to see if any of y'all did any of your homework. What's your thoughts here about this? Um We've got this prophet Christ. We're we're going to be dealing with two, three people in the audience th this morning: the crowd, um, the um, officers, and then Nicodemus. So, in, in narrowing our focus and our conversation down to the crowd, and this idea of them saying, "You know, this is pretty interesting. This is pretty cool." But doesn't the Christ come from Bethlehem? What do you, what do you see? What are you thinking about this crowd and where they're at at this point of the story? Um, and, and what do you, you pull from that? 
So Jeff's on mute. So Mr. Wayne or Shane, which which you guys got? I left you. I left you speechless. It's hard to leave Mr. Wayne speechless. <laughs> well, I was trying to think back of what the homework was that you asked. So we, I did one that was about no profit rise from Gallus, um, Galilee. But um, let's see. I thought I had it here. Um, I, I I sent a, a link in from Galilee, and um, and got you to to read through um, some some texts in Psalms and Micah and Ezekiel, Isaiah. Um, I must that one. Okay. So, so Matthew two one. Let's let's look at that real quick. And, and why? Hey, Dennis, on. is this is this uh, answer related to the blog spot? Um, yeah, yeah. What, just what uh, you put on there about Jonah and. Um, but in this case, that, that was very interesting. I went back and read that after we had had lunch and and went through it. Mm -hmm. But it, but that that's for with Nicodemus. But right now here, just Bethlehem. Let me read a few verses for you in John. Um, 742, it says, has not the scripture said that Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village that David was? So that's what we just read. In Psalms 89, three to four, it says, you have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I've sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. I want you to think about covenants. You know, God in making his, his plan of salvation and this way of salvation known to the world, he did it through covenants. He did it specifically, you know, we'll leave Adam and Noah because they're a little bit more complicated to talk about in some sense. And they're more to the world as a whole. But when we're talking about salvation, he did it through Abraham through a promise. He made a promise through Moses. He gave direction. But what we're reading about here about the Messiah and the Christ and going through David is he made a covenant with David that there would be someone on his on his throne forever. And so we see that when Jesus comes from the lineage of David and reestablishes the kingdom of God, you know, on earth, that you know, all those things that was God was doing. So here in Psalms 89, um, three to four, it says, You have you have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all nations. So this is the language kind of that was like with Abraham, that even though you don't have no children, I'm going to do a miracle and you're, everybody's going to come from you. We talk about in like Romans four the faith of Abraham. But I want you to remember, Abraham made some mistakes. Moses made some mistakes. David made some mistakes, but they were a crucial um, part of the way God revealed his plan of salvation and made his covenant with all mankind through them. Um, and he brought um, Jesus through that. In Micah 5, 2, it says, but you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler of Israel, who comes forth is from old and from ancient of days. Now that ancient of days, if you study that, I've heard some interesting, but it just basically means he has no beginning. So Jesus was new and he was old. So like in chapter eight, when we get into, he'll say before Abraham was, I am, and they get all real upset about that. Um, you know, that was part of the deal is that Abraham's been dead for, you know, 2000 years now or so. And, and, and you're saying you were before Abraham, that got them pretty 
pretty worked up. But this is interesting. Like there was a creed that the oldest son would would kind of run the show. And um, and so when you look at um, when you look at Isaac, um, you know, go back to Abraham and Sarah. When you look at Isaac, he was younger than Ishmael. When you look at um, when you get to Isaac and, and uh, Rebecca, you, you look at uh, Jacob. He was younger than Esau. And then when you get to David, he was younger than all his brothers. And what I like about this statement here is he says, Oh, Bethlehem, you are too little to be among the clans of Judah. Out of the 12 tribes that he could pull the Messiah from, he picks him from the smallest one. It's just unique how, how God does that. In Ezekiel 34, 23, 24, it says, And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be the God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Um, and one more Old Testament, Isaiah 7, 14 Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Um, so this is another one. I, I think the prophecy that, you know, you know, that they were looking for a king, but God is saying in Ezekiel that they will have a shepherd, that he will be essentially a good shepherd. If you go read that 34, that... That really used to impact my life um, years ago. I'll probably go back and read it again. But it it's talking about the drive, because we might could even benefit from it now. It it talks about the 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 down, is it downtrodden, but the downward spiral, I guess, of the nation because the shepherds are taking their privilege that they've been given and they're they're uh, mishandling it and they're essentially spiritually. Um, abusing probably spiritually and physically abusing the people um, but the lord's not going to be like that so it's speaking to that um so you know this expectation that they would come and 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 physically be delivered by a king you know that was a stumbling block for them but but they weren't really in any, in any sense thinking about that the messiah would be a great shepherd maybe the samaritan woman when she said the messiah's coming and he's going to explain everything to us but I think as a whole, we didn't get a lot of buzz from the crowd that, that that's what was going on. But but this in Isaiah, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And then right here, this phrase, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his man. Do, have you ever um, heard of of any of these deals when they're saying, is he to come from Bethlehem? Did you ever read anything in the in the Gospels that's that someone said? we're looking for the Messiah to come from a virgin because that's what Isaiah says here. He says, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Like what are they doing with that text? Like, is that just too hard for them? And they, they just don't deal with it. You know I mean? I know there's some texts I'll read sometimes. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what to do with that, but do you think maybe, but, but you don't, you hear all these thoughts, all these speculations about who is Christ, but, and, and they're talking about here, we know where he comes from, but none of them are even remotely thinking about the possibility that it could be a virgin birth. 
And, 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 and like we talked, they don't bring it back up, but we talked about it, speculated a little bit last week is, um, could they have thought Jesus came from a, a sort of a skin scandalous relationship, you know, um, just, just mm. the whole fact of her getting pregnant before they were fully, fully wedded. Could they have thought he came from impure, um, you know, um, upbringing or, or, or uh, beginnings or so. But but what we know is that the virgin birth, there's no one else that had a virgin birth. I mean, we see Sarah's womb at 90 years old open back up. We, we see that with some other different people, but nobody has ever heard of a virgin birth. I mean, in my, in my way of thinking, the virgin birth trumps the 90-year-old woman, you know, it's teenager having a, a birth without having any intimacy and, and, and the 90 year old woman. I mean, they're both pretty amazing. Once the old, old Testament, once, you know, literally the old woman, old Testament and the new woman, the new Testament, you know, but they're both amazing births. Um, but, but no one's even thinking about that. And like, just a quick sidebar. One thing I think about Sarah is, uh, I was thinking about, how a lot of us are weak in our faith because we don't really know who we are in Christ. And we don't, and, and then not just that, sometimes we don't know who our God is, but I, I want you to think about Sarah tried to be a good woman all of her life. And, and, you know, when she was a young woman, she probably wanted to have kids and, and she went through that. And then her body started, you know, filling on her and all that kind of stuff. But, but God came to her husband and said, you're, you're going to have kids and they assume, okay, well, great. That's, that's, that's nice. 10 years later, they still have not had kids. Now I think in our day, any young couple that wants decides they want to have kids, if they hadn't had kids at 10 years later, that they're, they're losing a good bit of hope. And so to some degree they had lost some hope. And Sarah said, look, why don't, why don't we kind of take this into our own hands and won't you take my maid servant? And then, family drama happens okay they have a child the maid looks funny at sarah she's upset about it she wants to blame abraham on it and it's it's family drama but but it's still like another 15 years till till to this moment so all this is going on she's old she's had these 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 years of 10 years of no child and then you know about 15 years ishmael or so and then all of a sudden, God comes back and says, next year, you will have a child. And what really impacted me about this is how specific our God is. You know, a lot of times we're like, God, do you not love me anymore? Do you not care for me anymore? And we don't understand why, you know, I don't understand why you're doing what you're doing. And she had to have all those thoughts. But, but if you want to talk about finishing strong, can you imagine after 90 years, God's saying, next year, you're going to have a baby. It takes nine months to do it, you know, to, to have this baby. How can a God tell someone that after 90 years of trying and not being able to have a child, that you're going to have one next year, and that actually happened to the day? How does that change your faith? You know what I mean? You've been waiting in the incubator in a slow cook oven for 90 years to see the mercy of God. And he does it that way. And then in the same way, you know, with Mary, like, you know, this angel comes and speaks to you and says, you're going to have a baby. 
And she knows she ain't slept with no one. And she knows over the next few months, she ain't slept with one, but three, six months down the road, she feels this baby kicking in her belly. Like that's the kind of God we serve. And and as I was thinking about that and praying about that this week is, is we need to spend some time this week, maybe in our prayer time is how big is our God? And, and like, sometimes we're always wanting to base our, 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 our relationship with how big, I guess, how big our God is based on what he's done for us. But what does that impact you? If you believe that's true, that the miracle of Sarah happened and the miracle of Mary happened, if you believe that's true, then what does that mean about the God you serve? You know, remember when two boys would say, my dad's bigger than your dad? Like, does that change how big your God is? Maybe your prayers are too small that you're asking. You know, anyway, I, I went on tangent again. This is where we're at. Matthew 2, 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. I, uh, I put that in there. Um, it's on the blog site if y'all didn't look at it, but go back and read that. I'm not going to spend much more time on it, but it unpacks all these things about the crowd. Why are they thinking that he's in Bethlehem? Uh, he would um, come from Bethlehem. Um, and, and Luke, I'll read two more. Luke 2, 4, 7. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to the firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. So like, that's, I mean, I guess they don't have privity to this, this news report, but but this is our authoritative text that we have that that answers this whole question. Um, and then the last one is Luke 2, um, 39 to 40. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom and the favor of God was upon him. The one other thing I think I mentioned last week is that um, the other text was in, in Luke. But if you go back and unpack all that, you remember when the wise men came and they said, we're coming to see the king. And, and he said, go find him and come tell me where he is so I can worship him too. And when Herod um, realizes he was, he was Duke, so to speak, he, um, he, he commands, he, he charges that every, everyone, but um, um, under two years old be killed. Well, if Jesus is 30, 31 years old, something like that, that was just, you know, 28 years ago. It wasn't a couple of de- you know, a couple of decades ago. It was like the nineties or so for us. It seems like you would have remembered that, that massacre in that area. And so any kind of investigation on some of these things, the virgin, the massacre, um, who is really who is really Joseph? The consensus, all of those kind of things could have uncovered this stuff. And so, as I mentioned that kind of ahead of time, but I'll, I will I will just say that what the Pharisees tell Nicodemus when we get to the end of the story is search the scriptures 
to find this. Jesus said in John 5, you search the scriptures, but they speak about me. You know, that's the problem that they're running to. They love the scripture. They're reading it or in a sense, but their hearts are, 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 are unclean. They're, they're not reading the scriptures to better their relationship with Christ and to help others better their relationship with Christ. They're doing, they're reading the scriptures more to have control over people and to, you know, and to spout, like when we talk about negative about theology, we talk about people trying to be so wise and not really caring about people. This is the picture of the Pharisees. And when they come, I thought about this picture. Um, I know none of y'all do this, but if you ever, had your job sneak up on you on, on, I mean, not your job, your boss sneak up on you on your job and you weren't doing what you were supposed to do. You, you would, Oh, oh, oh we're, we're just doing this boss. You know, you would be really caught off guard. And that's sort of the way the Pharisees are being called. Um, Jesus is sort of coming like undercover boss. If you ever watch this show um, where the, they come and he begins to ask them questions about why they're doing what they're doing and um, they've been doing it wrong for so long. They, they don't, they don't know how to handle it. Um, all right. So I guess back to, to the text there. Hey um, Dennis, you, you had mentioned something about, um, you know, the virgin birth and that they should have known the scriptures. Uh, did you, did you run across Isaiah seven, the seven fourteen passage? I, I read that one just now. About yeah. The and that, so the the backdrop behind that too is with with King Ahaz and um, you know the Lord as you know asking that he asked for a sign, but not having faith in in that, and then getting the sign of the scripture of the virgin birth, and still saying in his mind, you know that's not enough, and so he went and sought other ways to battle these two armies that were coming against him, but it, it's just it goes to show you too that God's ways are above our, our ways and that the, the virgin and the child would be stronger than anything that would come against, you know, in this sense, two, two kingdoms coming down on Jerusalem. Uh, but it's so, it's so different than what we would ever expect. Uh, but you're right. The, the, the Pharisee should have read that passage and, and understood it to mean uh, mess messianic prophecy, right? That, that was a, something they should have known about the Messiah. Right. I think so. So they read yeah, and, Malachi, which is, which was a big part of what they did kind of sort of understand, but, um, and they, they understand to some degree that he's going to come from David and Bethlehem and all that. But I, I don't, I don't know why they, you know, we asked last week, I, I think Mr. Wayne was talking about a little bit about, he says, um, when they, when they address it, um, when they address it last week, I'm trying to find it. Um, speak openly. Let's see. I know we talked about it, but it it said no one. Uh, yeah. So if if you look at verse, um, and here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and when Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from, and um. Mr. Wayne brought up Mel Melchizedek and, and, you know, we, we hear that in Hebrews is pretty much where we, we hear that. Um, and that's an interesting thought, but I thought kind of in parallel with this, um, what they could mean is that it's going to come from a virgin birth. And like, how would you prove that? I mean, like, 
would there be a sign? Oh, she she had a child with with no, <laughs> you know. What I mean, I guess it could have yeah. it could have come with like the to the shepherds where they announced the shepherds angels, but that was just to the shepherds. But what what were they expecting? Some angel announcement of something like virgin woman is. You know? <laughs> but you know, you also you also touched on a good point about what happened at the massacre that Herod wanted carried out. That. I mean, if we heard about that today, that's something that would stick in our minds and they, you know, would have known about, um, you're right. They could have done some investigative journalism and research and put, put some pieces together to really say, Hey, maybe this is, is the Messiah. Yeah. I I like how you, I like how you brought that point about because it, you know, you, you try to put yourself in that setting. What would you have done? Especially if you were one that knew the prophecies, knew the messianic prophecies, know this guy that's 30 something years old would you have started to investigate and put things together like that right but you, but know, you know guys all of this uh oh am i coming through yeah i hear you yeah all of this is is human nature um that we need to justify everything <laughs> uh from an earthly standpoint and uh dennis you were asking earlier well what do you think of god um what do you think of miracles? Miracles are acts of God that we cannot justify from an earthly basis. And until you get to, until you get it in your heart that you realize that God will have it his way and, and he has control over what we think of it. I mean, look, look at how you look at it. You look at me, a magician, and you say, well, gee, I wonder how he, he's, he's, he did this. We don't have to wonder about how God does things if we believe that he does things and is in control of what we will never understand. But if you don't get God up there above all this, this human nature looking for reasoning and answers, uh, you know, you're not really feeling the presence of God. In your heart. Yeah. I, I think about in Romans four, it says about Abraham, it says in the presence of him that speaks into existence, those things that were not, I mean, is that the God you serve? Is that your dad that 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 has your back? You know, um, that changes. You know, that changes your faith. And you know, and and whether it be the devil or, or whatever, but it, as long as you're thinking, you're what's rolling in your mind is about this little bitty God that can maybe do something. You know, come on. Oh, anything on the on those others? Because I mean, we've got these we've got these three things, and I know we're running out of time, but we got these these three things. And really, I'm just trying to get you to think through the text a little bit deeper. Um, anything, Shane, on that part? I just think like we, we try to think what you was talking about, God. We 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 just don't realize how big He is, and we our rational thinking tries to put things in worldly perspective and be like, well, how can this be? How can this be? Well. God's not us. He's so far superior. But yeah, go. I know we're running out of time. Well, so just to hit the officers real quick, um, in verse 45, the officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? And that was the, the phrase I highlighted in this, this part. The officers answered, no one ever spoke to spoke like this man. Um, the, the Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived and, and have any of the authorities of the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is a curse. 
you know, this is, this is a power struggle here. I mean, this is, this is, uh, we, you know, kind of like politics today. We don't have the facts. We don't know the answers, but we just going to shame you into don't listen to that guy. Listen to this guy. We're, <laughs> we're going to cre- create division by, by fiction, you know, but, but why did you not bring him to you? So they, they sent their wrestlers that, you know, I, I kind of see the Pharisees as people that couldn't fight their own battles, so they had to have a, a mercenary team that they paid, you know, and they, they send the mercenaries to get this guy they're scared to death of, and uh, and and they come back and they're like like these hardened men, you know, and, and they come back and they're like, they're like, why, why didn't you bring him? Like, was he too strong for you? Did he did he pull out some secret weapons? And they're like, nah, you just it's pretty much no one ever talked like this guy. I, I've never seen someone as wonderful as him. You know, you can see these big hearted men, mercenaries, just kind of like getting uh kind of getting saved, or you know, but but I I I'd put a few texts, but but if you remember when Pharisee, when when Jesus started teaching, um and like I said, my, my notes are kind of scattered this morning, but, but, but when Jesus started teaching, they said that he taught with authority, unlike the Pharisees, that, that there was something uniquely different people were picking up about Jesus and the way he interacted with them as a, as a leader, as a teacher. And it, it was, they, it, I think at this point they hadn't fully evolved who this man was that had stepped on this scene, but they knew something was different. One of my favorite stories is um, Zacchaeus and him climbing up into that tree ahead of time to find Jesus. And Jesus says, I got to come to your house to eat. And he goes in there. And uh, I love that conversation because everybody outside like, what is he doing? Eating with sinners. And if you go read that story of Nick and uh, of Zacchaeus, he says in the presence of, of him, that essentially calls into existence, but in the present things that didn't exist um, in the presence of Jesus, he begins to be convicted. And he says, if I've wronged anyone, I'll, I'll pay it back fourfold. You know, he just, he says, I gotta, I've done some things wrong. I gotta get this off of me. And if that ain't what we want to see on our churches Sunday, you know, this morning is, is something extraordinary where someone just says, look, I ain't been re- living right. I ain't been acting right. And I, I enough of that. I'm getting rid of that. That's what was going on. But all these other people that were supposed to be leaders that have been given the privilege to steward the people of God and be a good shepherd are sitting out there like, I ain't going to no tax collector's house. I I don't I don't like that guy he's teaching it you know all that blah 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 um so these pharisees uh these authorities and and let's get back with our last little time to this nicodemus um they were shaming him there with the law in, in verse 49 but the crowd that does not know the law basically they're saying the crowd is dumb they're not educated they don't have the degrees and um but 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 they had common sense they had a heart they knew they were created by God, right? They knew their creator when they heard his voice, right? Um, that's John 10. Um, but in, in 50, he said, Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, 
they get mad with him. So if you look at, it, they just the, the the leaders came back and said no man ever taught like him, and like, this crowd's a bunch of dummies, you know. But then then this is one of them. This is an educated man that knows the things they know. That's read the Bible like they read it, and he says he just says something that's as common sense as, as the day is long. He says, you know, does our law, the law we've we've you know pledged allegiance to, does it? Does it judge a man before first giving him a hearing and learn? And they're like, we're beyond here. We've heard enough. You know, they they just they ain't got no evidence, they ain't got no facts, but they're 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 ready to move on. And then they replied, Are you from Galilee too? Like Galilee's the worst place on the planet, you know. Like, uh, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arise from Galilee. So I'll fin we'll finish with that if y'all if y'all have any questions um, or I want to have any comments I I, I want to read a little bit from the blog on that if you guys didn't see it I sent it out but about this searching Galilee um, Shane I know Jeff said he read it Shane did you or Mr Wayne read anything about what I put on the so let me let me read a little bit of that real quick so it says search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. And I'm just reading off the blog. You can go back and visit this. Here is a challenge that the Pharisees make to Nicodemus, and my heart was led to accept the challenge. I did what they said, search the scriptures. My Bible reference note led me to 2 Kings 14.25, which says he restored the border of Israel from Labohaman as far as the Sea of Arabath, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by the servant, Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath Pepper. So when you hear that verse right there, you're searching. So you're, you're in the place you've been challenged to search the scriptures to see if any prophet came from Galilee. And in your Bible reference, you didn't just come up with this. You just, you had to help with some Bible scholars. And in your Bible reference, it sent you to a text in 2 Kings, and there was a prophet named Jonah that was a part of, of guiding the king. Okay, so what do you think about that at that point? What is your initial thought there? Have you heard of a prophet named Jonah? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, that, I, I know, Dennis, we talked about this, but my, my mind automatically jumped to uh, Jonah, and then when Jesus clearing the temple and talks about, hey, I'm going to give you a sign. It's going to be the sign of Jonah. Okay, so so here I recognize the name Jonah, but ask, is that the Jonah and the well Jonah running from God? Jonah, um, eight word message in the whole city gets saved. Jonah, and I put um, in the if you go to Jonah one and you read the first verse, it says, "Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah." the son of Amittai saying, so I'm like, Hey, save Jonah. Right. So now, but the, the, but that ain't the full question. This is just where the little script in my Bible led me to, to Jonah. And so I'm thinking, okay, well, does that mean he's from Galilee? Cause it says Gath heifer. Right. And so then, um, I think I put, you know, the check, uh, that, that, uh, Jeff just said, but in Matthew 12, 38, it says, then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the, 
the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will Jonah of uh, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repent at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So back to that question, who do you say that I am? When Jonah was sent from God to give a merciful message to Nineveh, they repented. Now, this is someone greater than Jonah speaking to them and speaking more than eight words. And because Jonah didn't even want to preach to him. He's like minimal words, period. You know, you know, fastest sermon ever, you know, and, and they're repenting. But Jesus is pouring his heart out, you know, in, in a sense to them, and they're they don't even realize that he's greater than Jonah and that the privilege they have. Um, and then I put when Jesus spoke about Jonah, he was dealing with a with a people that refused to hear God's present word and was walking in rebellion to him. He was dealing with them wanting a sign, and and he and 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 he. And he was prophesying to them what the fulfilling of God's way of salvation would look like. So, so no one was looking for the, the resurrection, right? So just as a lot of people miss the virgin birth, a lot of them ultimately miss the, the reality of the resurrection. And so he's pointing them into to, to a new prophecy. There was a prophecy of Isaiah that there was a virgin birth, but he's, he's pointing them into it's a prediction of his death, burial, and resurrection through Jonah, and they're asking for a sign. So he's sort of not giving them a sign to, to necessarily verify what he's doing in present time, but he's giving them a sign that they'll remember after this whole story has unraveled, you know, of, of, of what's going on. And um, and it ha happens, no, tell them what happened beforehand. And, okay. And then the next question is, so the next question is this gap heifer. Um, so on the website, and I'm not going to try to share the screen because we're out of time, but I'll, I'll try to describe it. Just I'll send the website when we get off, and you can go back and look at the pictures. You should be able to zoom into the pictures. But picture in Israel, this long place sort of like Florida, and at the top part of Israel, you've got the Sea of Galilee, and towards the bottom, you have the Dead Sea. And I'll just tell you, it's a lot more plentiful, a lot more grass in the northern part because there's more water up there than down around Jerusalem, where actually the temple and the and and um, Bethlehem and all that was. But what's next? If you ever go look at the top of this of, of the um, of the Dead Sea and go over to the left a little bit, that's where Jerusalem is. That's that's you know where they'd have had all the festivals. If you go up to the Sea of Galilee and you look at the top left, that's where Capernaum was. But if you look at the bottom left, that's where um, Nazareth was. So anyway, when you do your investigation, you can see these. If you look at the right map, you'll see on this one, you can see these um, sort of mountaintops. Uh, so when they when they say mountains, uh, I was looking at this in another study, but it's, it's really just a hill to us. I mean, it's not like Mount Everest or it's not like things you're going to see in Colorado or Gatlinburg. Um, it's not that kind of mountain. It's more like hill, hill ranges and stuff like that. So anyway, you see these ranges, but what you can do is in these maps, you can track like this valley and then the range kind of does like a curve, like, I don't know, like a, a downward curve. You, you'll see what I'm talking about. But what you can tell is once you learn to find, to locate on the map, 
this is the bottom of Sea of Galilee, and I go over about this far. That's where um, Nazareth is. Well, anyway, you'll be able to see Gath Heifer was five kilometers north of, of Nazareth, and it was um, and from from Gath Heifer, east of that was um, Cana, one kilometer. So in this little you know, go up from Nazareth five kilometers and over to the right one kilometer, and you make a triangle out of that. In that little area, that's where we knew Jesus was traveling to Cana. You know, at different times they were they were um, um, familiar with that area, but Jonah would have come from an area that was five kilometers north of Nazareth, um, and so that's pretty interesting. So. Maybe that's why Jesus used that Jonah story. But um, let me finish up with our last seconds here. Um, so I found the map searching in Gath Hamburg, and I, I think I just paraphrased everything I said to you there. But I just want to tell you about the final map that I sent. Um, a final observation is just that Isaiah 9, 1 and 2 references the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, two of the tribes of Israel. The below image is a territory map of the 12 tribes, and it shows essentially where Jesus spent most of his life. Another way that the scriptures was pointing to Jesus, the leaders were not aware of. If you compare the two maps and look at the mountain ranges, you can determine that Nazareth and Gathhepper was in Zebulun and Capernaum was in Naphtalia. So I, I'd put in some other stuff about the... Uh, about where the roots of these tribes were, like who they were born to. One of them was born to Leah in Nazareth's area where he, he lived at. And when he went to Capernaum, that was um, one of the, the maid servants of Rachel, just, just if that means anything to you. Um, but but what, I, what I wanted to read, I, I don't think I put it in here. Um, I'm gonna read, I'll finish up with this last verse is uh, Matthew 4, because I did some study on, on this too, is um, in Matthew 4, 1 is where the temptation of Jesus starts. But when you get to, to verse 12, it's called, it start um, his ministry. But I want you to hear this. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtalia, so they were, so that was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, and then that's this text that I'm telling you, so that's what got me to that, that place, but those two references that we did, you know, with a simple study, um, and that's the way we do it nowadays, but they would have had their way of doing it, but, but, they bring these tribes and Jesus spent 30 years in one of these territories. And then he went and spent his three year ministry life in another one of those territories. And it prophesied that in these two areas that they're saying is Galilee and saying, does anything good come from Galilee? What the prophecy is essentially saying is this, it says the land of Zebulun and the land of Natalia, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of, of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. What was that great light that they seen? You know, that's, that's the prophecy. He prophesied that the day's coming where this area of darkness is going to see 
a great light. And, um, and it says, and for those dwelling in, in that region and a shadow of death and them, a light has dawned. You know, my question has a light, did a light dawn in Galilee, you know, years ago? And sh sure, they didn't have all the information. We're looking back and all that. But it just goes to show that our God had given them the information that if they would have really been studying the scripture, they wouldn't have been challenging a guy. You know, think about Nicodemus. In, in John 3, Nicodemus came saying, we know, we're, we're really confused about what all is going on. We know that you come from God. You wouldn't be able to do the signs that he's doing. That was the same argument in John 9 with the black blind man when they're trying to get him to talk bad about Jesus. He's like, you know, how could, how, if he was of the devil, how, how could, how could he be doing these, these things? So I know I ran over time. Any, any final thoughts? We covered a lot. I probably wasn't as efficient as I should have been with the computer problems and stuff, but any, any thoughts on those three little guys, the Pharisees, the crowd, you know, our goal is just to prepare our heart with um, understanding the text and the story in a deeper level, you know, and um, and and really what's happening was we're, we're preparing ourselves because the challenges they were facing to answering the question, who is Jesus, is the same challenges we face today. And if we start wrapping our mind with 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 um, how to answer those questions about you know, who is Jesus? We need to ask people, who do you think Jesus is? And we need to, we need to know how to handle their misconceptions, um, I guess is the right way to say it. Um, any final thoughts, Jeff? He's still on mute. He'll jump in if he gets on. Are that Dan? Any final thoughts? Sorry, no final thoughts, Hank. Okay, Shane? I just thinking about it that how um, how so much how, so often we had the faith faith of a mustard seed and you know like these people it, they tried to rationalize every little thing which most of the um, not most of but a lot of what Jesus was doing was of God you cannot rationalize it or uh, think in an earthly way you know. Um, when we think of us being sinners, how can one man die and, and, and take our place? Uh, it's just the major one, but yeah, that's the great light. I, I'm drifting off, but yeah, just thinking big, thinking big about God. How big is our God? Yeah. What you think, Mr. Wayne, before we get out of here? Well, that's, I, I don't know what to think. Uh, <laughs> in spite of my, my, my blessed faith, I, I don't know how to approach people. And I guess, uh, it always will be a problem. We got to leave it up to God to perform miracles and God to open hearts because we can't. Yeah. Amen. Well, um, I, I was going to just give you one little quick advertisement or whatever, just for for ahead is, um, you know, I know like I was looking at, we've, we've been a little bit over six months in John we hadn't finished the book and um, hopefully you guys have been, enjoyed this and didn't feel like I was dragging you through it. Um, but, um, but, but in our day, people wrestle with, you know, you know, how much do we, how fast do we blaze through, you know, a book of the Bible, you know, um, and when you're blazing through, sometimes you're taking a surface level but but God began to work in my heart about the book of John a while back, and and um 
And I've just been praying through that, but I'm working on something. I actually keep me in prayer with this, but I'm working on something that I've always seen kind of like as you're educating yourself, you know, there's a basic understanding and that basic understanding can turn into an advanced understanding, but that advanced understanding can, can turn into an extraordinary, amazing understanding. And one of the things that's very unique about John that I believe I can make the case on is so sometimes when you, when you look at preachers in the preaching world, you, you know, some will say the, the, the only way to preach is to work right through the Bible, you know, or preach through books of the Bible. And another one will say, well, we need to relate to where people are and we need to, you know, speak, do topics. Like this is the topic that, you know, and what happens is when you're doing topical teaching, that can be good, but sometimes you could be just looking for scriptures all over the Bible to support what you want to say, but there, there's a, there's a place for that. But my, my point is, is when you read through all of John and you read it as a story and you accept sort of the sort of the surface level, you know, plain, what is it saying type stuff? There's that way. But then there's what a guy, a guy told me the other day. I was talking to him about first John and how difficult it was for me to teach it. And last Sunday, the pastor, um, and, and he, he explained some things to me that my friend, and he said, he said, John is a circular book. And he explained kind of what that meant. And, um, but then I, after I have lunch with him, he talks about a circular, circular book within a week, I'm in a church service on Sunday and he challenges us to read the book of John every day this week. So that's what I've been doing this week. Well, what happened is I had already, when I taught, studied, I realized there was five main words, abide, love, and know, were the positive words, and sin in the world were the negative world, words. And there's a couple other words with that, but what I'm getting at is what the guy told me about John speaking in circular and the pastor saying, read through the whole book every day this week. What happens is the way we talk, the way we've talked through John so far, and the way we talked through um, first, first John, we went through it verse by verse, and we went through it from section by section. And in that way, you can get lost in the big picture idea of what the book actually says, because it's circular. If you read those five verses, he'll, he'll be talking about sin. And the next thing he'll talk about a Bible and then he'll be, and it, it could go in any kind of order, but what you can hold on to is right now he's talking about sinning. Right now he's talking about the world. Right now he's talking about a body. Oh, he's talking about knowing, you know, and, and once you get that framework, you can roll with the punches, so to speak. Well, when you, when you, so, so I, I would say John, first John, it's, it's very difficult. And it's probably not the best way to teach first John by by going it verse by verse, section by section, because people get confused, I think. I think with John, you can do that because it is written more in a story. But when you put the two books together and you realize John's style, what you realize is that in the Gospel of John, he's doing both things. There are circular points that he's doing, but he's also saying it in a current coherent way. So a while back, I told you, I talk to you about breadcrumbs because if you're reading a paragraph and you're reading that paragraph and all of a sudden it says something that seems like it doesn't fit there, that's probably a breadcrumb. So for example, my time is not come, you know, 
that's a breadcrumb because you see it here and you see it here and you see it here. So when you've read the whole book of John and you say, why does he say that there and there and there? And so to give you an idea, um, eternal life is a breadcrumb. Every time you hear eternal life, write that verse down and ask yourself. Um, 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 eyes, ears, um, hearing, seeing, you know, um, 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 seeking is, is a breadcrumb. So anyway, I'm working on that. Pray for me. Uh, but, but that's what I want you to know is that, that we're doing what we're doing, but there's something else that what we're doing is preparing us for. And, 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 and there's the basic level learning that can turn into an advanced learning that can turn into an amazing learning. And, um, and I, I don't think we've, we've quite got there or I've got there yet, but I'm excited about what can happen because what, what we're, you know, the old saying, if you, um, if you teach a man, if, if you give a man a, a fish, you feed him for, you know, for today. But if you teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. And, and, and I think a lot of times what we do in our church environment is we, we just give out fish. Someone else goes and catches some fish and says, hey, look at these fish we got. But we've got to turn that around where we learn to read the Bible in a way that it creates ordinary, I mean, extraordinary experiences in our personal time. And people say, bro, what are you doing? How are you fishing? I need to know how you're fishing so I can fish like that because I want those extraordinary results in my personal time. So like I said, pray for me as God's navigate me through that. And, and like I said, I, I gave you some details to maybe kind of be thinking through that. But um, yeah, Mr. Wayne, open Shane, won't you close? And, um, and like I said, keep me in your prayers of that. Um, I have a few ideas of something I want to do in the future um, that we'll, we'll kind of get started here soon. But um, I'll let you close this, Shane. Father God, so much to unpack here. And, um, sometimes I feel overwhelmed, just my lack of knowledge. But Lord, I pray that... As I go throughout the week, as we go throughout the week, Lord, that we just be attuned and open to the spirit, Lord, that there, there is things you're trying to, to tell us through your word, um, people we come across, Lord. And as Dennis said, I, I think we do have, have a duty to, to just ask people um, what they think about Jesus. What do they think about you, Lord? So, Father, I pray that as we go about our week, it's not just a, an empty um uh, uh, ch checklist that we must complete, Lord, but that is so much more that it's a deeper and, and, and just trying to be in your presence and all that we do. Lord, just open up Dennis's mind to to what it is and, and, and that you're trying to teach. Um, and Lord, just um, if we can be beacons of light to those that we come in contact with, that we just do that. And we ask this and uh, in the biggest, most precious name that Above all names, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, guys. You have a good day. If you need anything, give me a holler. Yep. Dennis, we'll get lunch this week. Tomorrow won't work for me. I just realized that. But one day this week, okay. I'll get with you. All right. Talk to you later. All right. Bye. Bye.